Hi friends, my name is Hera. We all grew up where stories were read under the willow trees. In this fast-paced era, let me slow you down and take you back with me in the golden hour with simpler story times. Friends, welcome to the Golden Hour with Hera, English story tapes. There was once an honest gentleman who took for his second wife the proudest and most disagreeable lady in the whole country. She had two daughters, exactly like herself. He himself had one little girl who resembled her dead mother, the best woman in all the world. Scarcely had the second marriage taken place before the stepmother became jealous of the good qualities of the little girl who was so great a contrast to her own two daughters. She gave her all the hard work of the house, compelling her to wash the floors and staircase, to dust the bedrooms and to clean grates. While her sister occupied carpeted chambers hung with mirrors where they could see themselves from head to foot, this poor little girl was sent to sleep in an attic on an old straw mattress with only one chair and not a looking glass in the room. She suffered all in silence, not daring to complain to her father, who was entirely ruled by his new wife. When her daily work was done, she used to sit down in chimney corner, among the ashes from which two sisters gave her the nickname of Cinderella. But Cinderella, however shabbily clad, was the handsomer than they were, with all their fine clothes. It happened that the king's son gave a series of balls to which were invited all rank of fashion of the city, and amongst the rest, the two elder sisters. They were proud and happy and occupied their whole time in deciding what they should wear. This was a source of new trouble to Cinderella, whose duty it was to get up their fine linen and laces, and who never could please them, however much she tried. They talked of nothing but their clothes. I, said the elder, shall wear my velvet gown and my trimming of English lace, and I, added the younger, will have my ordinary silk petticoat but i shall adorn it with my upper skirt of flowered brocade and shall put on my diamond tiara which is a great deal finer than anything of yours here the elder sister grew angry and the dispute began to run so high that cinderella who was known to have excellent taste, was called upon to decide between them. She gave them the best advice she could and gently, submissively offered to dress them herself and especially to arrange their hair, an accomplishment in which she excelled many a noted coffee. 
The important evening came, and she exercised all her skills in adorning the two young ladies. While she was combing out the elder's hair, this ill-natured girl sharply, "Cinderella, do you not wish you were going to the ball?" Ah, madame, they obliged her always to say, "Madame, you are only mocking me." It is not my fortune to have any such pleasure. You are right. People would only laugh to see a little cinder wench at a ball. After this, any other girl would have dressed the hair all awry, but Cinderella was good and made it perfectly even and smooth. The sister scarcely eaten for two days and had broken a dozen stale laces a day in trying to make themselves slender, but tonight they broke a dozen more and lost their tempers over and over again before they had completed their toilet. When at last the happy moment arrived, Cinderella followed them to the coach. And after it had whirled them away, she sat down by the kitchen fire and cried. Immediately, her godmother, who was fairy, appeared beside her. "What are you crying for, my little maid?" "Oh, I wish, I wish," her sobs stopped her. "You wish to go to the ball, isn't it so?" Cinderella nodded. "Well then, be a good girl, and you shall go." First, run into the garden and fetch me the largest pumpkin you can find. She went. Her godmother took the pumpkin and, having scooped out all its inside, struck it with her wand. No sooner did the wand touch the pumpkin than it became a splendid gilt coach lined with rose-colored satin. Now fetch me mousetraps out of the pantry, my dear. Cinderella brought it. It contained six of the fattest, sleekest mice. The fairy lifted up the wire door, and as each mouse ran out, she struck it and changed it into a white horse. But what shall I do for your coachman, Cinderella? Cinderella suggested that she has seen a large black rat in the rat trap, and she might do for want of better. You are right. Go and look again for him. He was found, and fairy made him into a most respectable coachman, with the finest whisker imaginable. She afterward took six lizards from behind the pumpkin frame, and changed them into six footmen, all in splendid livery. Who immediately jumped up behind the carriage, as if they had been footmen all their days. Well, Cinderella, now you can go to the ball. What in these clothes? said Cinderella piteously, looking down on her ragged frock. Her godmother laughed, and touched her also with the wand, at which her wedged, threadbare jacket became stiff with gold. And sparkling with jewels, her woolen petticoat lended into a gown of sweeping satin, from underneath which peeped out her little feet.
covered with silk stocking and the prettiest glass slippers in the world. Now, Cinderella, you may go. But remember, if you stay one instant after midnight, your carriage will become pumpkin, your coachman a rat, your horses mice, and your footmen lizards, while you yourself will be the little cinder wench you were an hour ago. Cinderella promised without fear, her heart was so full of joy. When she arrived at the palace, the king's son, whom someone probably the fairy had told to await the coming of an uninvited princess whom nobody knew, was standing at the entrance, ready to receive her. He offered her his hand and led her with the utmost courtesy through the assembled guests, who stood aside to let her pass, whispering to one another, Oh, how beautiful she is! It might have turned the head of anyone, but poor Cinderella, who was so used to being despised, but she took it all, as if it was something happening in a dream. Her triumph was complete. Even the old king said to the queen that never since Her Majesty's young days had he seen so charming a person. All the court ladies scanned her eagerly, clothes and all, and determined to have theirs made the next day of exactly the same pattern. The king's son himself led her out to dance, and she danced so gracefully that he admired her more and more. Indeed, at supper, which was fortunately early, his admiration quite took away his appetite. Cinderella herself sought out her sister, placed herself beside them, and offered them all sorts of civil attentions. These coming, as they supposed, from strangers and so magnificent a lady almost overwhelmed them with delight. While she was talking with them, she heard the clock strike quarter to twelve and making a courteous adieu to the royal family, she re-entered her carriage escorted gallantly by the king's son and arrived in safety at her own door. There she found her godmother, who smiled approval of whom she begged permission to go to a second ball the following night to which the queen had invited her. While she was talking, the two sisters were heard knocking at the gate and the fairy godmother vanished leaving Cinderella sitting in the chimney corner, rubbing her eyes and pretending to be very sleepy. Ah! cried the eldest sister spitefully. It has been the most delightful ball and there was present the most beautiful princess I have ever saw, who was so exceedingly polite to us both. Was she? said Cinderella indifferently. And who might she be? Nobody knows, though everybody would give their eyes to know, especially the king's son. Indeed, replied Cinderella, a little more interested. I should like to see her. Then she turned the, 
Then she turned to the elder sister and said, Majowet, will you not let me go tomorrow and lend me your yellow gown that you wear on Sundays? What? Lend my yellow gown to a cinder wench? I'm not so mad as that. Cinderella did not complain, for if her sister really had lent her the gown, she would have been considerably embarrassed. The next night came and the two young ladies, richly dressed in different toilet, went to the ball. Cinderella was splendidly attired and more beautiful than ever followed them shortly after. Now remember, 12 o'clock was her godmother's parting speech, and she thought she certainly should. But the prince's attention to her were even greater than on the first evening, and in the delight of listening to his pleasant conversation, time slipped by unperceived. While she was sitting beside him in a lovely alcove and looking at the moon from under a boa of orange blossom, she heard a clock strike the first stroke of twelve. She started up and fled away as lightly as a deer. Amazed, the prince followed but could not catch her. Indeed, he missed his lovely princess altogether and only saw running out of the palace doors a little dirty lass whom he had never beheld before and of whom he certainly would never have taken the least notice. Cinderella arrived at home breathless and weary, ragged and cold, without carriage or footman or coachman, the only remnant of her past magnificence being one of her little glass slippers. The other she had dropped in the ballroom as she ran away. When the two sisters returned, they were full of this strange adventure. How the beautiful lady had appeared at the ball, more beautiful than ever, and enchanted everyone who looked at her. And how as the clock was striking twelve, she had suddenly risen up and fled through the ball, disappearing, no one knew how or where, and dropping one of her glass slippers behind her in her flight. The king's son had remained unconsolable until he chanced to pick up the little glass slipper which he carried away in his pocket and was seen to take out continually and look at affectionately with the air of a man very much in love. In fact, from his behavior during the remainder of the evening, all the court and the royal family were sure that he was desperately in love with the wearer of the little glass slipper. A few days later, the whole city was attracted by the sight of Harold going around with the little glass slipper in his hand, publishing with the flourished trumpets that the king's son ordered this to be tried on the foot of every lady in the kingdom and that he wished to marry the lady whom it fit best or to whom it and the fellow slipper belonged. Princesses, duchess and countesses and simple gentlewomen all tried it on but being a fairy slipper it did not fit anyone and besides nobody could produce its fellow slipper which lay all the time safely in the pocket of Cinderella's old woolen gown. 
At last, Harold came to the house of the two sisters, and though they well knew neither of themselves was the beautiful lady, they made every attempt to get their clumsy feet into the glass slipper, but in vain. Let me try it on," said Cinderella from the chimney corner. "What you?" cried the others, bursting into shouts of laughter. But Cinderella only smiled and held out her hand. Her sisters could not prevent her, since the command was that every maiden in the city should try on the slipper, in order that no chance might be left untried. For the prince was nearly breaking his heart, and his father and mother were afraid that he would actually die for love of the beautiful unknown lady. So Harold bade Cinderella to sit down on three-legged stool. in the kitchen and he himself put the slipper on her pretty little foot it fit exactly she then drew from her pocket the fellow slipper which she also put on and stood up with the touch of magic shoes all her dresses were changed likewise no longer was she the poor despised cinder wench but the beautiful lady whom the king's son loved her sister recognized her at once filled with astonishment mingled with no little alarm they threw themselves at her feet she raised and embraced them telling them she forgave them with all her heart and only hoped they would love her always then she departed with the herald to the king's palace and told her whole story to his majesty and the royal family They were not in the least surprised, for everybody believed in fairies, and everybody longed to have a fairy godmother. As for the young prince, he found her more lovely and lovable than ever, and insisted upon marrying her immediately. Cinderella never went home again, but she sent for her two sisters and married them. shortly after two rich gentlemen of the court scholars have identified more than 700 versions of cinderella the earliest was recorded by a chinese scholar in the 9th century In this version the despised daughter is held by the bones of a pet fish the wonderful garments she wear to the festival include a pair of gold shoes the king searches for the beauty who can wear the exquisite shoes finds and marries her but before this time the cruel stepmother and her favored daughters are killed by flying rocks in a 7th century italian version the heroine plots to kill her stepmother A tree dresses her for the ball. At the ball she drops a high-heeled shoe with the help of which the king finds her. In Madame de Neuvenata the Cinderella France 1721 the heroine finds the key to a locked chest where she discovers the ball gown. The slipper she loses is made from red velvet braided with pearls. After the king finds and marries her they invite the two favored sisters to come and live at court in the grim version of cinderella 
Ashan Patel. 1826. A little white bird provides a beautiful ball dress and golden slippers. The prince eventually obtained one of these slippers by coating the staircase of the ballroom with pitch. The Asha Patel crew sister cuts off her big toes to make the shoe fit, and the prince is deceived. But on the way to her wedding, two pigeons warn him of the deception. A second sister tries the same cross-toe trick with similar results. The turtle pigeon peck out the sister's eyes while they are acting as bridesmaid. A 19th century Scottish version, Rashin Cotes uses a slain red calf to provide the heroine with her beautiful clothes and satin shoes. The mother cuts off a portion of her favored daughter's foot to make shoe fit, but birds tell the prince, and the shoe jumps out of his pocket and onto the foot of the true beloved. In this book, we use an early English translation of the French version, as told by Charles and Pierre Perrault in History. O Contes du Temps Passé, published in Paris in 1697. This version seems to me to be the product of flawless judgment. It is recognizably the same basic story told in the other versions, but at every place where Perrault had to choose between sources, he made the tasteful choice. For example, he was the first to recognize the beauty and delicacy of unstretchable glass slipper. The result is beautifully balanced version of a powerful story.